Good morning to you. My name is Ivan Sprunk, one of your elders serving you here this morning. And we're at the point of the worship service where we will read God's word. We'll be reading Psalm 84 this morning that Ross will be preaching from. Psalm 84, and I'll be reading all 12 verses of that psalm. So, And as is our tradition, if you are physically able, we'd ask that you would stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Psalm 84, starting at verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. As recorded for us in Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You can be seated. Good morning. I'm Ross, the assistant pastor here, and I hope you had a worshipful and encouraging Advent season. And I know that I don't need to wish you a happy new year because I know we're all very happy to say goodbye to 2020. Um, If there's one silver lining of many for us believers in this challenging year, it's that this year has definitely deepened our homesickness for our eternal home. And this psalm is very relevant to us in that. Uh, this, this author of this psalm really embodies a healthy homesickness for the Lord. Uh, so I'm excited to, to dig in and, and explore this together. So please pray with me uh, as we ask God to help grow us uh, from this encounter with his word. God, we thank you so much for the scriptures. We thank you that through your word and your spirit, you are a God who comes to your people, not from afar, but from near. Spirit, would you help make the words of, these, of this scripture what they really are this morning? The living and active breath of God. Would you make them useful to us to encourage and train us in righteousness? And Lord, because of that, please give us humility as we come to your word. More than us reading your word, would your word read us this morning? and bear much fruit in our lives for your glory. 
We ask this in the name and for the sake of Jesus. Amen. So there was a really popular radio and memorable radio jingle uh, growing up uh, that went, At Van Til, we make houses into homes. And why would that be so important to us, that our house would become a home? Well, it's because the difference, especially as they are defining it, between a house and a home is very significant. A house, of course, is a physical building where we find shelter. But a home, in the way that I'm defining it this morning, is much, has much more depth and meaning uh, than that. Home is a place where we find belonging. It's, it's a place where we are most fully known and loved for who we are. It's a place where we find meaning and purpose in life, a place of safety. You know, what comes to mind for you when I ask you where home is? For most of you, it's probably, you know, your physical address here in Raleigh. Uh, but some of you, maybe it's where you grew up, or your family, or your friends, or maybe your church, or maybe you have a hard time answering that question. There are so many good things God gives us that we can call home here on earth. But another question that this psalm confronts us with is, what about God? Does he feel like home to us? I could use, take the words uh, that I described home with earlier. Um, if I use those, could, could that describe our relationship and our experience of God? He's a place of belonging, a place where we feel known and loved. Uh, we find much meaning and purpose and safety in our relationship with him. In other words, does God feel like family in our experience of him? Or do we just feel like one of his clients or one of his employees? Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians has a really interesting discussion about this. He makes this striking comparison, uh, talking about how God is our ultimate home. And our life here on earth, he, he compares it with the, the home of God and our life here on earth is a tent. Uh, and maybe that's not saying much to any of you backpackers out there who may love staying in tents, but to the rest of us, that strikes a chord. Because a tent, especially when it's used on a journey to somewhere, is a constant reminder uh, that we're not home yet. But we're Americans, and, and we don't like tents. Uh, we would instead prefer glamping um, and hiding the temporariness of this world and convincing ourselves that this is what we're made for, and this world is our ultimate home. And this is where Psalm 84 is so helpful. Ten times in these 12 verses, the author uses uh, the language of home in relationship to God. Uh, you know, he talks about God's courts and his dwelling place and Zion. Psalm 84 is about what it means and what it looks like to find our home in God. Letting God not just be a part of our lives, but the very foundation of our lives. Not just knowing things about him, but being known by him. Not just a neighbor living nearby, but a child in his home. As we'll see, the author of this story is very much at home with God and is inviting us back in as well and saving a seat for us at the table. So I want to discuss three questions that this psalm answers about finding our home in God. Where is home? Why it matters? And how we get there? So first of all, where is home? I'm thinking of verses 1 through 4 here. Verses 1 through 4 are like a love poem 
to God. Notice the intimacy of this language. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place. It could be also said, how dear or how beloved is your dwelling place. And then look at the, the ache and the longing he has to be in God's dwelling place. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. That word faints is such a dramatic imagery there. And then it goes on, my heart and my flesh, your translation says sing for joy. Actually, a better translation is almost the opposite of that. It's talking about how he's crying out to be in, um, in the presence of God. And, and I love verse 3. It says he, he envies the birds who can put nests in uh, the house of God, that they can be there continually. And this is believed to have been written by temple workers, the sons of Korah, who were, for some reason, temporarily displaced from Jerusalem. We don't know fully why, but they haven't been to the temple in a while. Does that sound familiar? Um, and it's clearly difficult for them. And verse 4 gives us a clue why. It's more of a proverbial statement in verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. <clears throat> why is someone like that blessed? Well, as the rest of the psalm will make clear, God is the author of this psalm's supreme joy. And the Old Testament temple um, is where he's able to experience the presence of God most meaningfully. It's where they feel most at home. And we need to remember to put ourselves in their context for a moment. The Old Testament worship that is in view here is very centralized. Uh, it happened in Jerusalem in its fullest expression. If you read 1 Kings chapters 6 through 8, it describes the building of this temple that he's talking about, and it, it describes it as this immaculately enchanting place of worship. And that's what he's referring to when he says he's longing for the courts of the Lord. But it's not even as much about the courts of the Lord as the psalm shows. It's about being in God's presence there. And we don't relate to this as much today because through the work of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, in most senses of the word, uh, the worship of God has been decentralized. Wherever the church of God is gathered like we are right now, that is said to be the temple and the building of God. And God has gone even further and has said that our, even our individual bodies are temples of God as well. There's a very meaningful and special presence of God even inside of us. We could say that in Christ, God has gone mobile. And if we take a peek at the end of the biblical story, we see the idea of the temple is blown up into cosmic proportions. Revelation says there will be no temple in the new heavens and earth because God himself is the temple of the new heavens and earth. His presence is the temple. And so we have to keep all of this in view to help relate ourselves to the situation this psalmist is in. Maybe we've never known what it's like to, to miss being in that Old Testament temple, but we do know what it's like um, to long to be with God's people um, for church or to be in God's presence in, in God's word. Uh, and we also know what it can be like uh, if we haven't been experiencing those things as much or as richly as we'd like. But we also know what it's like to long for our heavenly home, uh, the ultimate courts of the Lord. And this is why my, actually, when I first read this psalm and studied it, my initial reaction was actually a discouragement. Uh, because if I'm honest, my heart does not long for the courts of the Lord's like this psalmist does. I'm pretty envious of his disposition here. 
You know, my ho- hopes and my longings lately have been in much lesser things, maybe in Christmas presents or in, you know, ministry success or in, you know, forming my children in my own image. A question this psalm clearly confronts us with is what are our deepest longings? What is more desirable to us right now than God himself? If it is truly blessed to be in his presence continually, why aren't we running to Jesus more often in his word and in gospel community and in service of his kingdom? There's definitely a humbling aspect to these first several verses. But I've read something recently that actually turned my discouragement at reading these more into inspiration. Uh, helped me feel actually more inspired by his relationship with God. This author who I read, he talks about three different types of longings for God. There's the longing of an empty soul, someone who has never experienced Jesus as the bread of life. This is, this is someone who does not believe in Jesus, but is, but is on the verge of, of, of wanting to find satisfaction in him. There's the longing of a dry soul, someone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but is but their relationship with God just isn't the same right now. But then there's also something kind of different, the longing of a satisfied soul. What does that mean? It's this sort of divine discontentment that can come to the soul that has drunk deeply of the riches of Christ that brings you back for more and for more. Christ is so infinitely satisfying that the more our souls have of him, the more they want. You just can't get enough. The the more you really drink and, and, and experience Christ, the more you just, you just want to be in his presence more often. And this is what's going on in Psalm 84. This author is, is embodying this, this longing of a satisfied soul. And so that's what's so inspiring to me, that, that this is something that, that we all can experience. That the more that we really devote ourselves to pursuing God's presence in all different ways, the more that, that we're just going to want to keep coming back and the, and the less other things are going to tempt us. And so that's, that's the first important question that this psalm asks. And it's sort of this central question is, where is home? Where is our heart's home? And like a good realtor, this, this psalmist has given us a great showing into finding our home in God. The rest of the psalm, though, it, it gets a lot more practical, not as much theoretical. Um, It takes us sort of into the pains and the realities of this world and and shows us why this mindset of finding God as home is so important. So the second question uh, this psalm has is why it matters. Why it matters that we find our home with God. And there's two reasons that this psalm says why it matters. Because when we find our home in God, it gives us strength and it gives us sustenance. First of all, it gives us strength. Maybe you've heard the phrase, it's not the destination but the journey that counts. While the author of this psalm would beg to differ. Look at verses 5 to 7. Here the psalm kind of shifts in emphasis. Verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. There's a couple phrases in that that can be a little confusing. So what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about here, now that this person has longed for the house of God, it's now talking about someone journeying to Zion, which is uh, the Jerusalem and the temple of God in Jerusalem. And it's, it's, it's getting at that pilgrimage the Israelites would have to Zion to worship God. 
And, and whenever we see that in the Old Testament, where we as New Testament believers are to see that as a metaphor for our life, that we are also on a journey to the new Zion. And if we remember, the road to Jerusalem in that day was a very difficult and dangerous road. And, and of course, our life has difficulties as well. So here he's talking about those who find their strength in God in that journey. I love it when he says, Blessed are you whose hearts, in whose hearts are filled with the highways to Zion. What a beautiful picture. It's talking about a heart whose deepest longings are to be with God and in his presence. There's this sort of redemptive tunnel vision that he has. And verse 6 shows um, how helpful this is for the journey. It says that those who go through the valley of Baca make it a place of springs. Now, what does that mean? Well, the valley of Baca is referring to a very dry valley in Israel, uh, a place where uh, there wasn't much moisture or, or rain. And look what it says, that those who, whose hearts are, in whose hearts are the highways of Zion going through that valley, they make it a place of springs. How is that? Well, it's because of their joy to be going to Zion. It doesn't matter that it's dry. It's as if it's a place of springs because of the contentment and joy in their hearts on the way. And then look at the next line. I love the next line. It says, and the early rain also covers it with pools. Friends, who sends the rain? It's God who sends the rain. So it's talking about how while our contentment and our joy are enough to help us navigate uh, the struggles and the valleys of life, God can also send rain and give us earthly relief from our difficulty along the way. And we all know this to be true, that God gives us the gifts of, of maybe good family or friends or, or different healthy pleasures of life that, that can be like you know, rain in, in the valley of this life. And then finally, verse 7, it says, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And that's simply referring to how the pilgrims keep on finding new and more levels of strength on their journey because their hearts, in their hearts, are the highway to Zion. See now why I disagree with the phrase, it's the journey, not the destination that counts? Because for this pilgrim, the destination empowers the journey. Because he knows he's going to God's house in Zion. It doesn't matter how dry the valleys are on the way. They, are, they, they could almost just be an oasis to him because of his joy and contentment on where he's going. One author has, has explain, expanded upon this really well recently in a book. He talks about the difference between a destination mentality to life or a preparation mentality to life. A destination mentality is living as if this world and life is all there is. Trying to have your best life here. The anthem for this mentality is YOLO. You only live once. The problem of this is that this world is not our final address. We're not designed to find our fullest life here. <clears throat> the author says, when, asked, when we ask now to give us what only eternity can, we end up driven, frustrated, discouraged, and ultimately hopeless. But that's not the only mentality offered to us. There's, there's a different way that we can take, and that's the preparation mentality. <clears throat> Viewing every part of our life here as preparation for eternity. That our best life will not happen here, but is yet to come. That, that our life now is a training grounds for our eternally, eternal life with God. And that's not to say we can't find enjoyment 
or even levels of fulfillment here in this life. Now, God in his grace does give us that, but those are not to be ultimate fulfillment. Imagine how much this mentality changes how we approach everything in our life. Imagine taking this approach to our marriages, seeing our marriages not as something that needs to give us the deepest and ultimate fulfillment in life, but as a picture of our eventual marriage with the Lord in heaven. In our jobs, what if we took this mentality to our work, not trying to find uh, our most fulfillment uh, and, and our best life in our work here, but seeing our work as a way to image God in the world, a way to join God in his redemptive work of making all things new, whether you're a plumber or a doctor or a teacher. Imagine how this changes the way we approach our family and our parenting and preparing our kids for that eternal home or our friendships, or especially our money, or the pleasures of this world, and even our sufferings. It it changes everything, taking that mentality. The author goes on, Peace is found only in knowing that this world is meant to prepare us for the next, and that the temporary pleasures and pains of this world are not our final address. I mean, look at the psalmist embody this in verse 10. Very famous verse. You know, if you could spend one day anywhere, where would it be? Psalmist says, one day in your courts is better than thousands elsewhere. If you could be anyone or have any position, what would it be? He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is part of why it matters to have, to find our home in God is because it gives us strength as we go through the journey of life. But it also, the psalm continues and shows that this mentality uh, gives us sustenance on this journey. It, it sustains us. It gives us strength, but it also sustains us. It nurtures us along the way. <clears throat> and I see this in verses 11 and 12. It says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's kind of look at, there's a lot of descriptors he gives of God and what God is to us along the way. Let's look at each of them in turn. He, he calls God a son, S-U-N, son. And don't, don't quickly gloss over that. That's actually a very, very significant and, and really powerful metaphor for God. You know, if I were to ask you, if the sun were to just disappear and, and dissolve this afternoon, what would happen? Just think about that for a second. I can't get into all to the details of this and the science of this, but needless to say, we wouldn't last very long. All the food we eat, all the materials we work with, all the you know, different parts of the weather <clears throat> and countless other parts of our lives are directly traced back to the sun and its influence on the, the life of this world. So how is God like a sun? Well, he is the source of everything good and everything that brings flourishing in our life. Verse 11, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So why is it encouraging that God is like the sun? There's many reasons, but one is that it helps, (coughs) helps us release our control, the control we try to have on our life. The control of our lives, of our kids' lives, or even of just the shape of, of our country or this world. God is the sun of this world. He is the one sustaining it and giving it life. We get to join him in it, but when we try to take over, it never works out for us. But it also goes, continues that God is like a shield, which means God is like a safe place for us along the way. 
safe place, a refuge from the lies of the evil one who would try to take us down, the harm of, of friends or family or foes, safe place from the fears that we encounter. We are very anxious people and we need a, a, a place of refuge. And then it also says that God in our journey bestows favor and honor. For many of us, this is what we are living for. We will do anything to gain the favor and honor of people. We become slaves to their approval. Doing anything we can to get, you know, as many retweets or likes or followers as we can, and it's never enough. The psalmist here says to us, Are you tired of the rat race? Do you want to know what it's like to live from approval rather than for approval? And that is what God offers us. Notice the the home language there in that phrase. God gives us a sense of belonging and meaning in our relationship to him that we can't experience anywhere else, but that we try to. And notice the home language all throughout 11 and 12. There's a sense of safety, of replenishment, of belonging and meaning. Why it matters is because finding our home in God gives us strength and it sustains us. And so I hope we see how vital it is to a flourishing life to get the address right. To make our heart's ultimate home in God, we can't live without this mentality. But The final question this psalm asks is, how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we know that we are welcome and accepted in God's home and that this is more than just theory but actually reality for us today? Well, look at verse 9. It's sort of a curious verse, but, but still a very important verse. It says, Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. Kind of out of nowhere, there's this prayer for the king. And Why is that? Well, this actually may be the most important verse in this psalm. And here's why. Thinking back to 1 Kings verses, chapters 6 through 8, It's these passages to the King Solomon telling him how to build the temple. And there's a very important verse that happens in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. I'll read them for you. God says to Solomon, Concerning this temple that you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and... I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Do you hear what he's saying? The continuation of God's presence with his people in the Old Testament was contingent upon the obedience of the king. The question of who is king is a pivotal question in God's economy. In a very real sense, the king represented the people. As the king, so the people. And do you, so do you see why this prayer is so important in this psalm? God, look on the face of your anointed because that is the most crucial piece to enjoying God in the temple is the flourishing of the king. That's how they can even uh, enjoy this in the first place. And friends, that hasn't changed. The reason we get to call God and his present and future kingdom home is because God answered that prayer from this psalm in a way the psalmist could have never imagined. Jesus is called the Christ, which means he is the anointed one. He is the true and perfect king of our lives. The continuation of God's presence in the temple of Israel, which is now the church, which is now in our own hearts and is ultimately in heaven, 
the continuation of God's presence there is contingent upon the obedience of the king. And with King Jesus, we can rest easy because there is a continual obedience. He is a perfect king. And when our trust is in him, we know we always have a seat at the table. And this changes everything. This is why we can experience tastes of home here on earth because God has found our hearts worthy of his presence through Jesus Christ and in the, to be present amongst his imperfect but glorious church here on earth. And it's also why we can endure the journey home because we know he holds us all the way through. Friends, do you know that our Savior cannot wait for us to finally be home with him? Let me leave you with his words to us where we see this sort of childlike excitement that he has to one day welcome us to our final home. This is the words he spoke to his disciples uh, in John 14 and by association to us as well today. He says to them, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? What a picture of him just eagerly anticipating our, our arrival by preparing a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Uh, what a blessed hope that we have. Friends, it is a long journey in a beautiful yet difficult world. But in Christ, we have found a home. And we are almost there. So let's keep our eyes on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your life-giving word to us and the promises of this passage, Lord, that uh, you are our sun and our shield. You uh, give us favor and honor. That in you, one day in your presence is better than thousands elsewhere. And even the most menial tasks that are done before you are infinitely greater than the, the, the greatest places of the tents of wickedness, Lord. Remind our hearts of this again. Encourage our hearts with this again. Um, as we step into even a new year, would we have this mentality in us um, as we go into 2021 um, of a, a preparation mentality of living our lives and expecting our best life to be um, in the next life with you and, and change, letting that change our, our present lives because of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.